0: Hey kids, Mandy here, and I wanted to personally invite you to join me for Cincinnati Song Initiative's first ever Fellowship of the Song, happening May 20th through 25th. In addition to a week full of amazing concerts, song workshops, and classes, I'll be leading some seriously fun study events on heartwarming topics such as murder ballads and exploring death through music and poetry. Should be a great time! You can participate as an auditor, whether you come to Cincinnati in person or join remotely from your comfiest couch. And the best part is that all the week's events will be recorded for unlimited viewing through June 26th. So what are you waiting for? Head to cincinnatisonginitiative.org forward slash audit to learn more about this groundbreaking new program for song. And I hope to see you in person or online. kids and welcome to follow the leader with me your host mandy madrid Sikic. if you are a fan of the podcast remember to rate review and subscribe wherever you listen and remember if you like what we are doing on the podcast tell your friends and if you don't then tell your enemies because as i like to say any publicity is good publicity Today we are joined by my dear friend Janie and actually what what is your name <laughs> I was thinking about this. I was like, I actually don't know legally what her name is.
1: It's a fair question. Um, last name is Roy for now. We, we, okay. may, we may make the change, but... Okay. 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 But so you, you do you go it, by
0: yeah. legally Janie Roy, is Yes, it?
1: I do. <laughs> That's I could just shorten it and just be first name. We're just Janie. Just Janie, like
0: Cher, Madonna.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So could you maybe tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yes, would
1: love to. Um, I'm really excited to be here. I'm excited to geek out over music. Um, That was actually the first thing that I went to school for. Um, (laughs) I've always loved being a student. No surprise that I went back a a time or two. Um, But yeah, I studied music the first time around, um, psychology the second time around. So those two things combined together, any chance to dive into a piece and talk about it and learn about it This is like right up my alley um so yeah hobbyist now but that is uh that's a little bit about why this is interesting to me
0: uh as opposed to brian i kind of have to kidnap him and like hold him hostage and force him into the backseat of the sofa you're a willing participant today (laughs) (laughs) i'm a willing participant (laughs) yeah i was thinking you were actually there when the idea for this podcast was born was i Yes, I was sitting at the picnic table at our campsite in Sedona with Deborah, <gasps> and I was telling her about the song that first year in Sedona. That's that, where this was born. I have the picture proof. Yes, you that took the picture. Such
1: a vivid memory for me.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, oh my so goodness. I, I think it's really cool and I'm like so excited for that reason specifically. I'm oh really gosh. excited that you're here today. <laughs> Full circle moment. So today we're going to talk about the composer who wrote this. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. That's all you have to
1: listen to. (laughs) It's just this wavy... (laughs) <laughs> trudge to the top <laughs> and then mm, meltdown.
0: We have Brian Sickich to thank for that because I did not know that there was a fail of that.
1: <laughs> it is so perfect.
0: We're talking about the composer who wrote that. And I think most people, associate most non-classical music people associate that with 2001 A Space Odyssey, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's yeah. who we're talking about today. We are oh, talking fantastic. about Richard Strauss um, <laughs> who wrote that fabulous... Um, uh, theme in also zarathustra which we know obviously I mean it's iconic iconic uh, soundtrack mm-hmm. now right and yes. we now know uh did you see the barbie movie it was used in that yes! opening, even yes. the opening bar- <laughs> <Yes. laughs> we're also going to be speaking about his song Alle Zelen, which you will see is very fitting for this time of year also mm. just a quick um mention I could keep trying to say Strauss the whole time <laughs> but I'm just going to say Strauss okay <laughs> So. That's cool. <laughs> um, so, do you know anything about Strauss? Not, I mean, not that I would bank on. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. Okay, so this is going to be great. So what we'll do is I'm going to tell you, um, I'm going to tell you a bit of biographical info so you can know a little bit about the man himself, and then we'll talk about the text and the song for the day. Okay? Fantastic. Okay. So Richard Strauss (laughs) was born on June 11th, 1864 in Munich, Germany. Uh, And he was truly one of the most influential and celebrated composers and conductors of the late Romantic and early 20th century eras. He was honestly the most successful composer of his time. You know, we often have this idea that composers were these, you know, wretched, tortured creatures. Absolutely. That, right. Yeah. That yeah. were like suffering for their art. But this was not, for the most part, this was not the case for Strauss. So I think often, you know, we composers historically have really derived a creative spark from struggle or for, from personal tragedy, but Strauss was not the kind of composer that indulged that. He was very disciplined, and he prioritized order and stability, and he didn't see those kinds of things as obstacles, but that they were actually things that would compel him and enable his creative process when he had the time and the space to really work out ideas that were important to him.
1: That's really fascinating to me because you're right. There's this like starving artist and that's, that becomes like, Oh, I write because I'm in pain or whatever. Um, And to have someone who's like, I am fine and I love order and I love structure and my days look like this. And this is why I write these beautiful things. That's really fascinating. And hats off to him because I kind of think that there, there might be like some kind of pressure as an artist. I can imagine like, feeling the need to drum up like what's my villain origin story
0: (laughs) (laughs) totally i mean it was something i found quite fascinating about about him as as a character um and as a working composer as opposed to one of his friends was the composer um Gustav Mahler. And Mahler was a a pretty tortured individual. And he had this idea that he needed to seek some sort of redemption and and try to do that through composing. And Strauss always really wondered about this preoccupation of of Mahler's with redemption. And uh, Strauss said, I don't know what I'm supposed to be redeemed from. When I sit at my desk in the morning and an idea comes into my head, I surely don't need redemption. That is... (laughs) <laughs> so
1: funny to me. So he's on this one end going like, looking at the tortured artist going, I just, what, what's the deal?
0: Which is funny because on the one hand, I think that that is an aspect of him having had a privileged life. So he really did have I would say up until about the First World War, he had a great life and didn't have as much, didn't experience as much suffering and tragedy as maybe some others. Although ultimately he wasn't, he was not entirely untouched by misfortune, which we'll get into a little bit later. It just wasn't the most important catalyst. Um, in composition for him as it might have been for others. And, and there are definitely some pieces he wrote, like his very famous um, Metamorphosen for strings that was really written during like the darkest days of World War II. And you can hear it's really a lament. I think what he, probably is most emotional work. Um, so it's not to say that didn't exist for him, but not to the same degree or level, I think, for others. Um, so let me tell you a little bit about his, you know, kind of privileged background. He was born into a musical family and not just you know, that there was music around, but that his father was a successful professional musician. His father, Franz Josef Strauss, was a well-known and well-connected horn player and played in the orchestra for many of Wagner's opera premieres. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it's funny because actually, um, Father Strauss did not approve of Wagner's music. He was really conservative. He, you know, um, really put on a pedestal all the more conservative composers. He that after Mendelssohn music just went downhill
1: <laughs> oh my goodness that's so funny <laughs>
0: and so while he played in these orchestras and was very successful doing that um he just he didn't let his son listen to Wagner the, the oh, young Richard wow. was not allowed to indulge in studying Wagner's music which is oh funny then because Wagner ended up of course you know as the child individuates from the parent <laughs> 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 they seek out that which has been forbidden and that was definitely <laughs> <laughs> the case with the young uh, with the Young Strauss. Oh yeah. Do you know anything about Wagner? I recognize
1: Wagner. I recognize like his works. Oh. I recognize his operas. I've seen some of them. Okay. That's about it. Oh you the have.
0: Extent. Wow, okay. Mm-hmm. That's a lot more than I think just the random person on the sure. Yeah, I mean it helped that like
1: we were required to go and see some things, and then oh, we right. y- being close to you know in Los Angeles, like having access to those things made it a little bit easier. But
0: well, and you know, props for going to a Wagner opera. Even I, <laughs> so you're <clear> of Wagner <laughs> opera, so I don't know. By hour three, I'm just sitting there thinking, you know what? I'm ready for this to be done. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get let's get in into it a bit. In terms of style, Strauss was considered to be the success for the successor in many ways to both Wagner and Brahms, which is really saying something because at the time, the Wagner and Brahms battle was deeply raging. So Wagner was known for a more innovative approach to music, particularly this development of the Gesamtkunstwerk, the complete, the total work of art concept in which he sought to unite, you know, all these different elements, so music, drama, poetry, visual arts. It was all supposed to be this singular experience okay and the music was a bit more abstract and he was pushing the boundaries of tonality and chromaticism Brahms on the other hand was a conservative composer who more adhered to you know traditional forms traditional structures of classical music
1: so okay so you're sparking my memory a little bit I do remember like when you said Wagner I was like oh there was a small time that I remember being obsessed with like this idea and I'm remembering why now Mm. because of that whole like conceptual approach like it growing up, I wish like when we're born, we come with like this little manual to understand ourselves, but we don't. So we find this out (laughs) along the way. But one of the things that I found out along the way is that like, I I think very conceptually. So when I was learning about Wagner and that whole approach to like, this is all one cohesive piece and we're communicating through like the visual and the music and the themes and like the tonality and the chaos and it's all like one ball of concept and yes. I just before I even understood why I thought that was like the coolest thing
0: right and Strauss really latched on to I think some elements within that mm. but it is very fascinating that he would be considered a successor to both? Yeah. Wagner and Brahms. It's two sides of the spectrum. Right, right. In general, I think Strauss was a little bit more toned down from Wagner and he was often going for a shock factor in fact it was a criticism of him at the time that I'll, you know many um critics thought that he, Strauss was just trying to create a sensation as much as possible <laughs> mm-hmm. but there was this element of the fact that he he understood that music while he was an artist and he wanted to create art he also understood that music was a commodity and so if he could wield that as a money making device he wouldn't lower his standards necessarily but i think he was very aware of the shock value and the sensation that his music <laughs> created and again it was the same with vog wagner was a very aware that his music was pushing the boundaries and making people uncomfortable and creating this rift yeah. you know between these two polarized factions yeah yeah Um, In general, Strauss really had a knack for things working out for him. So, you know, he started composing and because of this background and his father's connections, he just had the means to be able to get his work um, into the hands of different people. And actually, it's kind of funny, even the first time he ever conducted, his mentor, Hans von Bülow, put a baton in his hand and told him to conduct his own composition on the condition that he conduct without rehearsal. So he just had to get up there, and the first time he was going to be conducting was on stage in front of an audience, and it worked out.
1: What? <laughs> Stop the pressure.
0: Yeah, so Strauss was working under this mentor, um, and, and um, Von Bulow really liked to set up tests for him like this because he could see that Strauss was truly talented. It wasn't just, oh, here's a kid whose dad has, you know, some money and some connections. And so we're giving him jobs. No, he was truly, um, truly talented, truly skilled. Um, And also, he was a really hard worker. He was famous for having such an intense schedule and being pulled in so many different directions. It was said he had a prodigious energy. And there were jokes that uh, he must have had a secret twin somewhere because he was always doing so much all the time oh in so gosh. many different directions. Yeah, that they were like, this just can't be one little guy. <laughs> There's gotta be two of them. He's got a double. <laughs> so we're here today to talk specifically about one of his songs. Um, his wife was actually the first main performer of, of his songs. So she, or her name was Pauline. She came to him actually as a pupil They ended up falling in love, as teachers and students sometimes tend to do. (laughs) They got married. They toured all over. And the interesting thing about this little duo is that she was a really dominating personality and was pretty notorious for being just over the top, very eccentric, very outspoken. Um, And as time went on, as they did more and more tours, like, you know, throughout the decades, Her dresses became more and more voluminous. Her (laughs) scarves and fans were just way over the top. Because she she, can. Because she, yeah, Yeah. mm -hmm, (laughs) definitely. I mean, she was the star. And also her husband was this wildly successful composer. So why not? What a life. Uh, He was a celebrity conductor. And so Mm. she was this celebrity wife who also you know, had a great talent. She inspired much of his work. Much of his output is written specifically for um, the soprano voice or a high voice. And uh, actually, after he met her, specifically after he met her, there was this great outpouring of song that he composed. And naturally, we, you know, think that it was because she inspired. He, he was, uh, she was his sort of muse. Um, but, as, as, you know, as time went on in her uh, demeanor just became more and more ostentatious Uh, there were even times where (laughs) on stage she would finish her part of the song right and there'd be a piano postlude and he'd be accompanying her on stage but she would expect uh, the audience to begin clapping as soon as her part was done so like essentially clapping over the piano postlude and sometimes she would even walk over and cover up Strauss from view so that couldn't see
1: what a force of a woman (laughs) this is my life this is my
0: time the audacity (laughs) to just (laughs) really take it all all the glory oh my gosh (laughs) <laughs> unfortunately we don't have any recordings of them performing together which i think would just be that so would inc-
1: be so cool yeah.
0: it's my dream that's like there is some recording somewhere that exists and it just hasn't been found yet hiding in
1: someone's library
0: <laughs> yeah yeah um. So, right, she inspired him and he wrote a lot of songs that are R four high voices. And also she he wrote a lot of operas with important soprano roles. So speaking of opera, this is where his career really took off. So he had had some successful tone poems which we'll probably talk a little bit more about in another episode. But uh, do you know the story of um, Zalome from the Bible? Yes. I I remember growing up hearing it, (laughs) Salome. 100%. When you said the name at first, I was like, that sounds kind of, oh yeah, no, that's how you
1: say
2: it. (laughs)
0: Salome. Oscar Wilde actually wrote a play based on the story of Zalome, and Strauss wrote an opera using the German translation of the play. And... This opera, let me tell you, it's wild, outrageously over the top, and especially for the time, he was able to uh, encapsulate just this, sen- this sensuality, this like sexual perversion he was able to incorporate into his music and... You know, well, the tone poems had been daring and adventurous. No one had really seen anything quite like this. Zalome is absolutely hair-raising. And it was after this opera uh, that he became known as the most advanced and interesting composer in Germany.
3: Ooh. Yeah.
0: And actually, at the premiere, the all of the um, performers had to do 38 Curtain calls. That's how (gasps) successful it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 38 people went wild. Gustav Mahler, his friend, described it as a live volcano, a subterranean fire.
1: These reviews, that is that's high praise. Yeah,
0: it, it was really cool. So after the success, he was able to build his dream house, which by the way, Strauss's number one goal in life was to be able to make enough money so that he could live in his remote house away from people and work only on creative projects that he wanted to work on. And I don't think I've ever found a composer more relatable than this. (laughs) Absolutely.
1: You were going on and I thought, oh, goals. That is
0: ideal. (laughs) Which is interesting because, you know, he, he was a paradox of a man, right? So he was this international figure, this celebrity conductor, composer. People were always clamoring for him and he knew that he had to do this work and, and he willingly did it, and he, like, he used it to become rich. He wanted to become rich so that he could go be alone in his house <laughs> in isolation. <laughs> Please afford me the chance to go back by myself. <laughs> yes. So Strauss experienced great success up through the First World War, but a few things happened that really ended up bringing him into a period of decline. One was that after the First World War, his all of his assets were frozen by England. So everything that he had worked so hard for, you know, everything that he had spent all this energy on, it was it was gone. And then also as music moves on, which it does, he just couldn't keep up. There were the tastes were changing, composers like Schoenberg and Berg were taking atonality and running with it. And Strauss, while he pushed, you know, tonality to the limits, and a few of his operas in particular are are very um, chromatic, he never really got into the atonal world that some of these other composers, I think it was the Viennese, um, the Viennese School of Music, this group of three, Schoenberg, Berg, and Webern, if memory serves. uh, He couldn't keep up with this. And he spent a great deal of energy longing... For a return, you know, to when he was at the pinnacle, when he was, you know, at his zenith. What Um, a story
1: arc. He like, he walked so they could run and then...
0: He right quite keep up yeah yeah and it's just not the way the world works right and we mm-hmm. see this in an even an exponentially faster rate these days the trends in in music in film just in art. it really does it it moves so fast and you could be at your top of your game one year and literally the next year you're out because things have moved on it's just the way the world works I also wanted to touch a little bit on the most controversial aspect of Strauss's life, which was his position as the president of the Reichsmusikkammer, which was the chamber of music of the Third Reich. Oh. Um, Right. So he accepted this position. The chamber of music was basically around to promote good German music, you know, Mm, music by Aryans that upheld Nazi ideals. So Strauss himself was very apolitical. He took this position, and there's been some debate through the years over whether he was forced to take this position or whether he willingly took it. Um, I read this pretty interesting article, um, I'll link to it in the show notes, about how he wasn't sort of forced at gunpoint to take this position, but he did use it uh, to do some good. So while it was controversial, his daughter in law was actually Jewish. Oh, and so wow. his grandsons, yeah, his grandsons were Jewish. And he was able to save their lives. Um, wow. He was able, yeah, to arrange for them to be put in house arrest versus going to concentration camp. And actually, one time when he left town, they were um, abducted, they were kidnapped and, and taken and spent like two nights in a jail somewhere. And he was able to go talk his way into being able to take them home and have them put back under house arrest. Also, I think it was the grandmother of his daughter-in-law, she was sent to um, Theresienstadt, the concentration camp, which we actually covered in an episode of the podcast where we um, discussed um, Ilse Weber, a Jewish composer in Theresienstadt. Um, So his daughter-in-law's grandmother went there, and he was able to get her out of the concentration camp, but there were other um members of the family that he wasn't able to save. but he was pretty relentless in using his position to write letters and and do as much as he could to help um you know those um, Jewish people, musicians and otherwise um, family members, friends. So that was a great way of that you know, he was able to leverage his position to help out. And also, he worked really hard to preserve com- uh, performances of composers that had been banned. He worked really hard to wow. continue... Co- um, conducting and performing Mahler and Mendelssohn. Debussy was another one who was um, banned at the time.
1: That's, I mean, it, it was kind of a left turn, like to hear that pop up in his life, but for him to use that and really turn his efforts into like preserving, helping, say, that's yeah. really fascinating.
0: Yeah, um, there's been some critique that he was also using it for personal advantage because he fought a lot for composers rights mm. um, and copyright laws. Mm-hmm. And some people say, well, it was really just trying to make sure that this would, you know, reinforce the fortune because he could earn royalties if copyright laws lasted longer. Uh, And I do think that that element was there. Um, But actually, um, Goebbels said about him because he was the one who had, I I believe he was the one, someone might want to fact check me on this. Goebbels was the one who um, hired him. But uh, he he wrote. I forget who he, was, who he was writing to, but he was writing to someone about Strauss and, and said, "Unfortunately, we still need him, but one day we shall have our own music, and then we shall have no further need of this decadent neurotic." <laughs> Oh, okay. So I think they were—they were using Strauss. Now Strauss was using this as position, but they were also using Strauss and his celebrity status to further their cause. So you know, this kind of mutually beneficial arrangement, which is—it just feels yucky now. You know, looking back in posterity, and it feels really muddy. Well, and he was also ex- just extremely naive. And I, there's no excuse for naivete or ignorance, but he genuinely thought there was this. Um quote I remember reading where he said that they can't the Germans can't eliminate all the Jews because then what what would the concert houses do? What would any of these mm. think we need the Jews in music. they they hold up the music industry. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was just really, really out of touch. Mm. The fact that he could believe that so um vehemently and not yeah. see what what was happening right in front of him. Wow. Um, you know, he refused to change librettists. He Um, He worked with his Jewish librettist, um, Stefan Zweig, and he actually wrote to Zweig in a letter. He said, do you believe I am ever in any of my actions guided by the thought that I am German? Do you suppose Mozart was consciously Aryan when he composed? I recognize only two types of people, those who have talent and those who have none. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so it was this specific letter that was actually intercepted and used um, to facilitate his firing so he lost that position oh wow yeah and after the end of the war Strauss was held by the Allies for a few weeks before being cleared of any wrongdoing or collaboration with the Nazis you know it's, it's a challenging aspect about his life to talk about but it is something that's there we'll probably get into it a little bit more in a future episode but I really felt like I couldn't introduce Strauss to the podcast at all and, and not mention that element. So World War Two really decimated his fortune. He ended up moving to a hotel with his wife in Switzerland, and he was, like, copying out... Um, arrangements of his own work to try to earn royalties from it. He was taking gigs that he wouldn't have otherwise have taken. Even braved boarding an airplane <laughs> um, <clears throat> to go on a short three-week tour in his eight. I think he was in his 80s at that point, um, just to make some much-needed cash. So, you know this. It was a far cry from the dream life he had imagined for himself. And I mean, he had the great privilege of living to an old age, Mm -hmm. um, which is wonderful. But at the same time, um, yeah, there are difficulties that go along with that. This inability. I, I think humans in general do have a hard time adapting to change, especially when you reach Um, such a successful, when you're just at the top, and then stuff changes, and you're not a part of it. Um, I think it's great for um, reflection for myself to take that as a lesson, you know, to really take stock and look around, okay, what have I dug my heels into? What needs to, what has changed? What do I need to change? And to keep changing with it, because the only constant is change, right? Yeah,
1: (laughs) yeah, yeah. It's so true. And, And learning how to when you hit your highs, be there for them and also adjust and not waste a lot of time, like clawing back for them. But how, how do I participate if my life changes or how do I participate if I'm not flying high in this moment? How do I participate when the world changes around me and my circumstances are different how do I not become, like, a tragedy in
0: my 70s? Totally, totally. <laughs> well, and listen, the great news for me is that I'm not any kind of celebrity, so it's pretty easy to <laughs> to change and not have everyone watching me. <laughs> you true. know, well, I can really true. fuck this up and no one's
2: going to care. <laughs> the sets of
1: eyes <laughs> that are on my life, I'm, like, counting them on my hands. Okay, we're good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: um, okay, so let's turn to um, our song for the day. We're going Ooh. to be talking about um, Alla Zelen which translates as all souls day which was yesterday okay um now strauss stressed the significance of wagner right he stressed the significance that wagner held for his own compositional work Which is interesting because Wagner actually completely neglected Lieder in general. He only wrote the Wesendonk Lieder, and that's it. Whereas Strauss continually returned to song throughout his life. A song was the first thing he wrote when he was six years old. And the four last songs were some of the last works that he wrote. They're literally prophetically entitled Fjolets de Lieder, four last songs. And there was a fifth unfinished song on his desk when he died. Wow. Yeah. Um, What's interesting is that mm, this composition of of Lieder and Strauss's life seems to be somewhat removed from a lot of what was going on in his personal life. In this book I was reading, which I'll link to in the show notes, um, he was saying how... There was really no tell in the songs composed around the time of the wars or anything dramatic that was going on. There's no tell in his songs that that's what was going on in Strauss's life. They seem to be somewhat remote from events that um, were happening at the time, uh, which I find fascinating. It kind
1: of makes sense with how you described how he operated right he's he loves the structure he loves the what do i need to be redeemed from it's just this completely separate thing (laughs) that he's dealing with aside from
0: reality yeah and i loved he had this one uh um he said at one point he described it when he would go looking for a song text to set he would just open up a book of poems and just kind of flip through and whatever it (laughs) flopped to if that sort of matched with this um, idea that he had had in his mind for something, he would just choose that one. <laughs> okay. Well. <laughs> <laughs> also, he 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 set a lot of contem- of his contemporaries, and he didn't really prioritize one poet over another. He just kind of whatever was working, you know, whatever was popular that year. Like, okay, I'll set that. <laughs> And many composers have been criticized for their um, lack of discernment in setting poems. Sure. You know, I have a really hard time criticizing poetry, and I'm not fluent in German. <laughs> what I will say is, I love the poem that we're talking about today, and mm. I love the setting. It was actually the first German poem that I ever memorized myself. Oh, wow. Um, I just sent you an email. Okay. And it has the English translation of the text. Um, So I'll go ahead and read that now. Set on the table the fragrant mignonettes. Bring in the last red asters and let us talk of love again, as once in May. Give me your hand to press in secret. And if people see, I do not care. Give me but one of your sweet glances as once in May. Each grave today has flowers and is fragrant. One day each year is devoted to the dead. Come to my heart and so be mine again, as once in May. That's lovely. Yeah, it really is. So I'm going to be honest. When I first learned this, I only read this poem one way. I read it as. Someone talking to a deceased loved one, to a deceased partner, essentially.
1: That's 100% what came to my head. That as once in May was a May in a year past that yes. he's remembering. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. And this time when I came to it... I was reading about some alternative perspectives where perhaps it's someone simply talking to a loved one, someone that they've fallen out of relationship with. Mm.
2: So they're taking
0: advantage of the fact that it's all souls day Mm -hmm. to reignite an old flame. Oh, which I can is, see this. Yeah, which is funny because, to be perfectly honest, I don't like that reading as much. I think partially because of the setting. The setting, um, the way that Strauss said it, it does feel a bit religious. It does feel like it touches in a tad with something transcendental, more than just an old fling. It feels like it reaches past the veil into the grave it feels a little bit more earnest there's something slightly yucky about the opportunistic nature of using um <laughs> you know yeah. all souls all day souls as a day. chance to like i don't know maybe it's like a booty call <laughs> <laughs> i don't love that reading of it <laughs> oh, yes 100 percent um but you know we're really confronted with i think the ritual of of the day, of the time. Something feels familiar and comforting as we're invited into this setting come, let us, let us set out the flowers and, and let us remember. We've talked about this before on the podcast, but May refers usually refers to young love, the blossoming of love, when oh, romance yeah. was new. It's very evocative of, of that um, time period within a romantic relationship. That makes sense. It makes it to me a touch more poignant, mm-hmm. well, I guess more than a touch, <laughs> if you're speaking to a deceased partner, if you're remembering back. I think partially because that's one of my deep fears (laughs) is being at the end of my life and my partner, R.I.P. Brian (laughs) Sigic, my partner (laughs) being gone and all I have left are my memories of that sweet time of the May time of our lives.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really moving. It's really powerful that that reading is very potent. I can see the other one it's not as potent. It doesn't, mean. <laughs> right? it is It's like it just, poetic yeah. booty call. <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> Look, totally. We're all like
1: celebrating existence and, and thinking about life and death and can we try again? Like, and, and.
0: yeah, can we try again? Yes. Yes. Um, you know, I think the one thing that kind of gets me, I, I used to have a, a teacher who would say, Just look at what's on the page. And I guess the thing that gets me about this page is that it does say, give me your hand to press in secret, Uh. you know, and if it ends up not remaining a secret, I do not care. Uh, to me, um, that does feel a little bit more something you would say to someone who's still here.
2: That's true.
0: But then, in the next line, he says, "Give me but one of your sweet glances." The way that, and you'll see the way that that's set in the in the music and the harmonic shifting that we do, really does feel like it brings us to another reality, mm. and it doesn't just feel like a reality of oh, maybe we could be together again. And it feels like we, we we catch a glimpse of a universe that's no longer available to us mm. um. So, yeah, maybe let's go ahead and take a listen. Sure. The recording that we're going to hear um, was a long-distance recording I made with a friend I met over Instagram. Her name is Lisa Davila. She's based in Northern California. Um, We made this recording during COVID, so I was doing a lot of long-distance things. Yeah. That's great. Uh, And I'm really excited for you to hear this. Also, she made this recording, we were working on this process not long after she... She lost her father
2: Mm. and
0: it felt it felt like important work Mm -hmm. and it felt like very meaningful work that we did together and I was very very grateful for her being willing to step into this emotional space considering what she had going on in her life
1: oh I'm really looking forward to hearing this
3: I sich
1: Wow. I have so many thoughts. I'm like exploding in my brain. (laughs) Let's hear (laughs) them. That was beautiful. Um, I really enjoyed listening and like reading a lot. Like the whole experience of that was beautiful. Knowing so many things, knowing more about Strauss, knowing about the poem, knowing about you and, and the singer and like all of the pieces that is a really profound way to listen to music. <laughs> um <laughs> um While well, It was playing, I was trying really hard to have like two sides of my brain holding two different interpretations, which was a little (laughs) complex, but really fun to try to keep up with. And I think I am undecided. I can hear both because on one side, there's this idea of using All Souls Day to get back with someone and that way it feels like this grand gesture, very dramatic, mm-hmm. almost like flamboyant, like mm-hmm. so over the top, lots of convincing. Like if you're going to shoot your shot, you may as well be so over the top about it. And you get to the one part that you mentioned, that phrase. Um, Give me your hand. Yeah. 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 And yes, one more hand. like, yes, yeah, sweet glance. Yeah. Yes. And that all of that, that tension there, with with that interpretation is right. just like every ounce in my body needs to tell you that I want this, and it's mm. so much, almost drippy, like yeah. syrupy. Um, and well, so- and it's
0: that's so interesting there because D major. So the the piece the song is in E flat, and it it modulates down. It shifts down to D major, and. Uh, it's just so wildly removed. If yeah. you were to conceive of, oh, I'm going to make a, a song in E flat and maybe I'll modulate. Like D major is not the key you think to go to. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I love that about it, it does. It just kind of like drips into yes. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Drips is exactly how that feels. So in that interpretation, it's it's just so big and... Like this is my very last attempt, my very big mm. shot into this chance.
0: Um, you know, if I might interject here, yeah. I think that there is. I'm realizing as I'm as I'm sitting here and absorbing and chatting about it. Mm-hmm. So lots of times, I just think about these things forever in my brain until I <laughs> go insane. Um, but I'm realizing there. I think that there is an element of earnest desire for connection. You know, when you realize, oh, life is short, I do have loved ones that have passed on, let us not waste tomorrow, let's connect, let's be together, you know, before we too have passed through the veil. That's and, it. and that feels a little bit better to me <laughs> than, as you said, the poetic booty call, which is, I'm, this is always forever <laughs> going to be known as the poetic booty call song. <laughs> it will be. Listen, it will be. there are so many songs that talk about sex. Like, leader, it's just, it's <laughs> dripping in sexual innuendo all over the place. Um, and this was not one that I had previously really thought of in that way but forever changed (laughs) i
1: think you're i think you're on the nose though i i think with how big and dramatic it is i think if i were to like go back and listen Mm -hmm. i could really feel it because so that that was that one side and then on the other side there was this grief and it's it's powerful and it You can hear the grief in it, especially, I mean, the part we're just talking about, it's just, is like a meltdown. But overall, I think that kind of middle ground interpretation that you're talking about really combines the two and feels like, oh, that clicks in because you are holding on one hand, you feel the earnestness, you feel the desperation almost. Mm -hmm. And then on the other hand, you feel these, these parts that are so deep and have so much gravity. And so it doesn't really feel like the whole thing is extraordinarily sad. And so I think that I think that you nailed it.
0: It's funny, because And this often happens with, with song performance. I can feel one way about a poem and a song one day and the next day feel a little bit differently about it. And I can foresee myself in the future having the option of performing it either way in my mind. You know, I really like to create, set up this whole internal world for each song that I perform and... I could see some days choosing this loved one's still alive, some days choosing I'm speaking to my loved one who has passed before me. And I think with that interpretation, speaking to your deceased loved one, um, the part where he says, um, one day each year is devoted to the dead, come to my heart, come on mein Herz, dass ich dich wieder habe wie einst in that we come to my heart and be mine again. As like as we once were in May, the the piano part in in that section, the piano bounds across the keyboard, and it does it reinforces this feeling of reaching across a, a great distance, a vast separation. I mean, sometimes when you're sitting at the piano, one end of the keyboard feels so very far from the other, <laughs> depending on what technically is going on, right? And it feels like it crosses that vast expanse um, physically, both physically and metaphorically and I can see myself really latching on to that element in future performances when when I choose that interpretation of the poem. So yeah, this has often been a favorite of mine I think from the first time I heard it, I, I heard actually George Schulte and Kiri Kanawa a recording and I just remember dying inside a little bit in the car. <laughs> I just Part of my heart kind of cracked off and I, what's this now? <laughs> I did not know I could feel <laughs> such a thing. <laughs> and uh, I love returning to this one. I, for a while, it was technically scary for me. I've had to play it in multiple keys and some keys are more challenging than others. But it, particularly even that part where it kind of bounds across the keyboard. Um, I don't know, Sch- Strauss's piano writing is often very orchestral for, I think, you know, the reasons that we discussed earlier, um, he just had that kind of imagination um, and sometimes can feel like a lot to manage. It feels very thick and lush while at the same time often being fairly transparent, uh, which is a weird dichotomy um, to you know, just balance, to maintain. That's that's a great point, yeah. Being so um,
1: like complex but really transparent. It's not overwhelmed with like big chunks and sound.
0: I've heard the critique before. Ah, oh, this one book that I read was hilarious. It, about this song in particular said it's essentially a big, heavy purple curtain, like <laughs> purple like, draped curtain, like almost like you're suffocating. I've just never felt that. I, I, that's just, that's the funny thing about being involved in any kind of art and opinions on the art. You're gonna find oh, so that good. one person thinks it's a big, heavy purple curtain under which you can't breathe. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> and then another person thinks the completely opposite. You know, oh, that's so funny. <laughs> yeah. So that I think that probably wraps this up, unless you had any last comments that you wanted to say.
1: Well, the the very last thing that stood out so um, heavily to me was the your performance choice, the timing of that very last note. Made the entire song. Like, (laughs) it was such a journey. And then that last, that last key. I was right with the timing of it so it's really fun now to to kind of break it down and being like yes I was feeling exactly that and like the that was perfect.
0: I love playing that like that because it's the little heart pang. Yes yes. <laughs> Even when you have processed the big emotion like the little pang is still there. It was
1: perfect that's exactly how it came across yes.
0: Ah, well thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well Janie I honestly cannot thank you enough for being here today I had so much fun. (laughs) I had
1: so much fun, Mandy. I'm like going to be levitating and someday I will come back down to earth, but this has been really a blast and now I'm going to be looking at the world with new lenses today.
0: (laughs) Amazing, amazing. And listeners, thank you. If you haven't had enough Richard Strauss in your life, then you might want to try singing Aller Zeilen with me. You can find my accompaniment on YouTube. I'm there as Mandy Madrid Sikic. Just click on the Leader Accompaniment's playlist and start singing. I'll also include a link to it in the show notes. Remember that Follow the Leader can be found in all the usual podcasty places. And please, if you like what you hear, leave a review. It is truly the best way you can support the podcast. I mean, other than giving me a million (laughs) dollars. Follow the Leader is a production of Cincinnati Song Initiative. You can learn more about their network of podcasts at cincinnatisonginitiative.org forward slash podcasts. You can also follow me on Instagram at LeaderNerd. That's at L-I-E-D-E-R-N-E-R-D. See you later, nerds! If you love this podcast, then you'll love the Song Cycle podcast, also by Cincinnati Song Initiative. Song Cycle introduces the coolest and awesomest
3: leaders of the song world today and dives into getting to know them and their unique stories, where they think song in the 21st century is headed, and lots of other great topics.
0: If you're looking for your next source of inspiration as you continue on your own musical journey as a song lover, look no further than Song Cycle with me, your host, Sam
3: Martin.
2: Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and join the conversation.